0: We need to recognize all the things that we're doing wrong and focus on those. It's a real balance, but to remain optimistic, it's really pouring ourselves into the work, right? Just knowing that all of the solutions that we have out there, they're here right now. We don't have yep. to reinvent anything. There's nothing. There's no tool that we need. Are, are there tools that can help us move faster? Are there tools coming in the future? Are there nascent technologies of the hydrogen or potentially carbon capture, crazy other things like that? Maybe sometime in the future. But for right now, we've got everything we need. And my house was proof of that starting in 2006. And Viridian is proof of that now, right? We're showing what is absolutely possible today with the existing tools. The challenge is we really need a new technology of organization, right? We need the new business models like you guys are doing. We need the unwavering commitment to getting it done with the knowledge that it absolutely is possible because it already exists.
1: The climate conversation has never been more divided. As disruptors in this space, we're hungry to find solutions to the challenges our environment faces. Welcome to the Climate Rebels podcast. My name is Joel Caesar. I'm joined by Owen Barrett and Chris Pomerlew. We are experts in clean energy, net zero real estate, decarbonization, and entrepreneurship. We celebrate those who take action against the climate crisis and are striving to make the world a cleaner place. Thanks for joining the conversation. Now, let's get to work. Welcome to the Climate Rebels Podcast. Joining me as always is Owen Barrett, self-proclaimed Adam Newman of Green Building, myself, world's greatest climate podcast host, Joel Caesar. Today's guest is Matt Grokoff, founder of Thrive Collaborative and founder and CEO, Few Nexus and Few Energy. He's a sustainability expert, real estate developer, writer, and speaker. Matt's a real inspiration of mine in the field of green building and real estate. I, as I talk to you a lot about this, Owen, I, for years I go to all the real estate green building conferences. I'm pretty involved in the network of people that are in that industry. And a lot of times there's people that are consultants or people that are kind of supporters of other businesses or other developers, the ones that are like taking the action. And I remember years ago seeing him speak and he comes from, you know, he doesn't come from a real estate or construction or design background. He bought this old house in Michigan and converted it into net zero and got it Living Building Challenge certified. I remember thinking, Look at this guy. He's just out there taking action like a badass. And then now, as we learned on the show, he's taking it steps further and he's building one of the most amazing, forward-thinking, sustainably driven residential developments on the planet. Again, just taking action like we all love to celebrate here. So
2: yeah. I'm a big
1: fan. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy it. What do you think? Super
2: inspiring. I think you know his story of ha- sort of how he came to be, like you said, with buying an old house, I think gives me hope with the Inflation Reduction Act. If we get millions of Americans replacing their gas stoves their gas dryers their gas water heaters with all these electric appliances maybe we get a million mats running around being like this is fucking stupid why are we burning so much gas in our house you know why does my apartment have gas why does my parents house have gas and maybe it'll just lead to this chain reaction hopefully that's what it leads to and I think Matt is patient zero
1: well he's a true leader true climate rebel I think everyone's gonna enjoy the show. But before we get into all of that, let's dive into a segment we've done before. It's a version of Zero Bullshit. And I'm going to let you tee us up here. Well, like a lot of our audience knows, we pay
2: attention to our social media comments. And a lot of the comments are, you know, climate deniers calling out the hypocrisy of our elites, sustainability elites, I'll call them, which, you know, I haven't hit that tier yet. I don't think you have yet, Joel, either, but maybe one day we'll be there. And we get called out about the hip, the hypocrisy of our elites. And so today or yesterday, I saw a headline about Jeff Bezos. He's committed a huge amount of his personal wealth to fighting climate change. Yet when his Blue Origin rocket took off, there was so much methane released that it was visible from the International Space Station. And it got me thinking that our social media hecklers are not wrong. Like there's a lot of self-proclaimed sustainability superheroes out there that are launching fucking rockets flying around the world in private planes taking vacations in super yachts and is that okay is my question i don't have an answer necessarily but i do think it's pretty hypocritical to tout yourself as a a planetary hero and then take your private plane on vacation what do you think
1: it's such an easy shot and it's a common one from climate deniers calling out the celebrities for uh, flying around their private jets and that being their claim that look it's all bullshit they don't care they're out there it's virtue signaling and it's performative and they're actually just polluters and they're worse than everyone because of their private jets i i disagree Like i, I you know we talked about we've had we've addressed the Leo on this show. I think in a previous episode, you talked about how more people trust Leo on climate than they do any Anyone government else or United Nations person or yeah. anything. So he, the guy's doing a ton, investing a ton of his money, investing a ton of his time, companies, business models. He's uh, outspoken about it, using his platform, creating a lot of hate towards him that he doesn't need. You know he Leo is universally loved besides <laughs> climate deniers at this point. So is he flying around on private jets? And is his carbon footprint probably not great because of that? Sure. But I don't know. I think the the magnitude of his message is way more important than the emissions of his private jets. And Bezos, Amazon, his previous company, does a ton for sustainability. They created the, what's it called, the Climate Pledge, which is galvanizing mm-hmm. huge industries to take action. And they're doing a ton for mass grid, scale, utility, renewable energy procurement. So it's not a simple message. I'm with you. I can understand the hypocrisy perspective, but I also think you got to give these guys credit. They don't have to be doing this.
2: So six years from now, Raven buys its hundredth building. You have fuck you money. Are you going to throw your personal emissions out the window and start flying private? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Love the honesty on the Climate <laughs> Rebels podcast.
1: Or I'll, I'll be investing in sustainable <laughs> jet fuel, and I'll have a super yacht that's all electric.
2: Joel Caesar, the world's best climate podcast slash private flyer fast fashion advocate.
1: <laughs> it will never be fast fashion. I won't go that route. But I don't know. You kind of. It's no, I think say. it's, I it's an interesting point. Jets. I think you know until someone quantifies positive impact
2: compared to negative impact it's a mystery
1: so that's a challenge to the climate rebels audience someone out there run a life cycle analysis on bezos negative climate actions like his private jets and his rockets versus everything he's done with his donations and foundations and everything amazon does should we be applauding him or should we be throwing rocks at him when we see him in the streets and jeff we'd love to have you on the show (laughs) we won't throw rocks at you well, that was fun, but let's dive into our conversation with Matt Grokoff. Matt Grokoff is an American environmentalist, sustainability advocate, sustainable real estate developer, writer, speaker, and founder of the Thrive Collaborative. He is known for his work on net zero energy and net zero water buildings and for the rehabilitation of the oldest home in North America to achieve net zero energy. Matt is a contributor to several media outlets, including the Environmental environmental report produced by Michigan Radio and Fox News energy team and was host of Greenovation TV. He advocates for modernized, distributed, renewable energy networks and distributed water and wastewater systems that work with natural systems. So, Matt, welcome to the Climate Rebels podcast.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me here. It's a lot of work to do.
1: It's good to to see you. Well, we start all of our guests with the same question to start the show. Matt, how are you a climate rebel?
0: How am I a climate rebel? I, I have an incredible amount of impatience. That's how I'm a climate rebel. Look, we've got until 2030 to have our emissions. And that's just the, 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 the flat-out science, and, and we're not on target to do that. So with, with, with the work that, that, uh, that my team is doing at, at Viridian at County Farm, with Thrive Collaborative, with Few Nexus, we are unwavering. In that commitment, we 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 don't do gas. We do red list free. We we chase carbon at every turn, and I've got a lot of stories to tell you about how we do some of that. But uh, you know, it's 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 really this incredible impatience that they have that I have that that it can be toxic sometimes because it, it turns to anger, it turns to frustration, and that's when it gets really hard to do the work and. As climate rebels, we can be rebellious, but the second that we go into despair, which as Al Gore says, is not just another tire in the trunk, it it can become a toxic anger, a toxic frustration that keeps us from doing our work. So we've just got to keep moving forward and uh, be as unwavering as possible and recognize that optimism is a precondition to success and uh, take that impatience, accept it. Don't let it become toxic. And race forward as fast as hell. It's a great answer, Matt. That's last week answer. we had a.
2: We're t- I forget why we were talking about this, but on one of our podcasts we were talking about just entrepreneurs and traits that help you be successful. And I think impatience is top three to be an ex- a successful entrepreneur. I think if you're a patient person or you're complacent, you're never mm-hmm. gonna have success.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's with all of these things, right? It's like with optimism, like if you're completely optimistic and you're Pollyanna about things, you like, oh, know, everything's gonna be great. We're gonna have solar, we're gonna have microgrids and we're all good. And we're gonna capture carbon on the atmosphere. That's not good either. Um, yeah, we recognize that those are great tools, but we have to have like, our this realistic grounded optimism. And, uh, is, you know, one of my, one of my true climate heroes is Christiana I I don't think I can listen to her voice without getting tears in my eyes with, with a little bit of grief, a little bit of optimism or a lot of optimism for sure. That's her goal. Uh, you know, and, uh, she, uh, you know, talks about outrage and optimism that you can't have this toxic outrage that you've got to, uh, you've got to balance those two. That outrage is what motivates us, but that optimism is what gives us the tools to keep going. Yeah. It's really been a theme of the
1: show, Matt. We try to keep this podcast positive, optimistic. We celebrate guests who are taking action and disrupting. And we'll get to this at the end of the show. The last question we ask every guest is what gives you hope? So we constantly <laughs> are trying to do what you're saying, remain optimistic and bring that conver- bring that to this conversation yeah. where yeah. it's easy to get negative. As you described, we got to have our emissions by 2030 and we are not on track. So balancing those two things, theme of the show of recognizing the challenge, recognizing the data, we got a tall task ahead of us but still remaining optimistic is
0: tough. So how do you do it? How do you balance? I really am g- exceptionally optimistic and people hear me complain and talk about all the things that we're doing wrong every single day. I, I focus a lot of my time, like we're not doing enough. We're not doing this. Why isn't this right? How can we do more? How can we chase a little bit of carbon? And if, if I'm not doing my job, that can come across to folks as look, look at this pessimist, right? It's like, but the thing is, I wouldn't be doing those things. I wouldn't be saying these things. I wouldn't be talking about our failures. It's great to talk about the successes, no question. And we need to, um, but we need to recognize all the things that we're doing wrong and focus on those. So it's a real balance, but you know, to remain optimistic, it's really pouring ourselves into the work, right? Just knowing that all of the solutions that we have out there, they're here right now. We don't have yep. to reinvent anything. There's nothing, there's no tool that we need. Are, are there tools that can help us move faster? Are there tools coming in the future? Are there nascent technologies of the hydrogen or potentially even carbon capture, crazy other things like that? Maybe sometime in the future. But for right now, we've got everything we need. And my house was proof of that starting in 2006. And Viridian is proof of that now, right? We're showing what is absolutely possible today with the existing tools. The challenge is we really need a new technology of organization, right? Yeah. Not new tech for heat pumps or anything else like that. I invite the new, new, new business people. models. Yeah. But we need the new business models like you guys are doing. We need, you know, the unwavering commitment to getting it done with the knowledge that it absolutely is possible because it already exists, right? It already exists. You know, my house, 2006, we looked at this house. I had, I had recently met Jason McLennan. He had just founded the uh, living building challenge. Uh, and we looked at the roof of our house and it was this that we were thinking about buying, perfect south-facing roof, it had lead paint, a asbestos siding, a gas-powered lawnmower in the shed, a Mueller Climatrol gas furnace. This thing was massive, like six feet long, uh, in the basement, and everything was humming along, just working just fine. And that house could have done that for another hundred years. But we looked at that and said, "All right, let's make this a Living Building Challenge net-zero uh, energy building." And we were in the we were the twenty-first projects in the through the Living Building Challenge to achieve. achieve net zero energy, the first in historic district, still the oldest building in America to achieve net zero energy in a historic district. And I kind of thought that everyone was going to follow that path right after that. And look, we did it. Here it is. There's the example. And that everyone's just going to unplug the gas, make their house all electric, put solar panels on the roofs, maybe add a battery for some resilience. We're going to upgrade the grid and everything was going to be fine. Instead, what we got was people just thought we were a bunch of hippies bathing in our pasta water. And- (laughs) And and we weren't, but just to make them think that a little bit more, we took it even a step further. We, I became an advisor for the University of Michigan Blue Lab. We really focused on water and what we could do, and can, can we conceptually recreate, restore the ecological water flow of this site? And so we asked this group of graduate students at the University of Michigan, if if this house didn't exist and the rain were falling from the sky, where would it go? And can we then... They're like, you know, put that building back in that place and create a system that captures that flow, uses it in the same way that a tree in a forest would capture that flow and and go to net positive water. And the answer was yes. It, you know, the, the, the project was about five years. We now, we harvest 5,000 gallon cisterns in the, in the side yard, off of a metal roof, through galvaloon pipes, through a filter, through a three-stage filtration system with a pump, and then... Carbon filtration and UV light at the end, potable standard water at the end of that. We also proved possible gray water recapture. Again, not proved possible. Took off the shelf technology. Things were NSF 350. All these you know yep, uh, yep. standard off the shelf stuff. And then we didn't do this, but proved possible again. A nutrient recovery systems that we could have harvested all of the waste in there. And then and then you just take that and see. And that's the kind of that what they call in biology a terminal node, right? If you can do it in that terminal node, then you can replicate that and you can create ecosystems, you can start to create networks that, that work together and emerge from the ground up. So when we're in the middle of this, the Flint water crisis happened. So I started appearing on media outlets and writing about this and saying, it's like, listen, Flint is not a lead problem. It's a systems thinking problem. And that was proof when weeks later, after one of the first interviews I did, they, then they changed the chemistry in the pipes to get, you know, to stop the lead from leaching out. And they, and then they had Legionella. And then, so they added some other chemical to the pipe. And then there was another problem because there was other problems that were eliminating the Legionella. So they were literally just playing whack-a-mole with this system that was built for several hundred thousand homes that now was only, at, you know, like 60 or 70,000 homes. So, so, so what we proved was that if you do this like in biology or any kind of physical or natural system, where you have these emergent properties, where complex adaptive systems emerge from the bottom up in an organic fashion. Then you get systems that, instead of being linear and fracture critical, you get systems that are complex and adaptive and resilient. And they fail, they do fail, right? You still get failures in nature, but those failures are small and localized and graceful.
2: You're what I like to call a sustainability nerd, Joel and myself, our fellow sustainability nerds. I get the sense that you were hands-on with your project. You were probably helping explore some of the technologies, You know, had a lot of comfort talking to contractors about what you thought should be done and how it should be done. For the average homeowner that's not a sustainability nerd, is there an easy way for them to do this or is that sort of a, a missing piece of what's necessary?
0: Yeah, fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem. Uh, that that is the problem right now. Again, the solutions are all there. But um, Sarah Hammerschmidt, who's on our team, who's you know a PhD in in urban planning and you know an engineer, and she had to get a heat pump water heater for her house. And you know she asked, you know, hey, can we get help with some of the contractors we're using? And I said, you know what, you go out, do this as a consumer first, and let's see what happens. And and she knows a lot. She's a smart person. She's, you know, she's a nerd as well. <laughs> and, um, she got contractors telling her, and you've heard this on this podcast before, the same story, heat pump, water heaters don't work in Michigan. A heat pump, water heater, that's going to be $6,000. Gas is much better and it's going to be much cheaper for you. And, you know, so, so all of these just, you know, total misinformation that she had to go through just to get a freaking hot water. Yeah a tank put in her basement. So it's hard. And that's a systems problem that we need to overcome. But I I think with the IRA and with here in Ann Arbor, there's a badass new program that the Office of Sustainability Innovation is doing. They're having a concierge, right? And so they're going to be this department that you can call as a consumer and Mm. say, my water tank just died. What do I do? And they will give you some contractors. They will tell you about the different technologies. They'll give you a brief education on what to do. And they will We'll set up these phone calls and these meetings for you to get quotes from contractors that have worked with the city to get trained in this. So yeah, these are the kind awesome. of like that change the, the way the, the organization is done.
1: I'll tell a little story here about how I, I met you years ago, Matt. And you know we, we talked about this before the show, but go to Living Future Conference. So you mentioned Living Building Challenge. So you, the conference yeah. that the Living Building Challenge has every year called the Living Future Unconference I started going, I don't know, 2013, 2014, and I was working at the city of Santa Monica in the Office of Sustainability and had some consulting and construction experience. But you go there and there's presentations, there's panels, there's white papers being presented, and lots of people that are like consultants or people that work at the city like me, not really decision makers. I think there and GreenBuild, the, the, the really core, hardcore green building conferences are too many sustainability nerds and not like real estate people, right, who we need to talk yeah. to. But I remember meeting you or hearing about the the house that you just described, your own home that you converted to net zero energy. And I'd love for you to tell a little bit of your story about before that, because I don't think you come from engineering or or building necessarily before you did that with your house. But it was, you're one of these inspirations to me in the industry that we walk in because I was always, look at this guy. He's just out. He just took action on his own house in Michigan and made this happen. And it's something Owen and I, we, we vibed on. When we were in grad school. We we and we to this day. That's why we're in business together because we got tired of convincing people to do the right thing and said, "Let's just take action ourselves. Let's go buy buildings. Let's own the buildings. Let's control our destiny." Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just one give you credit for doing what you done, what you did there, and being an inspiration to all of us to take action. But maybe here you can rewind a little bit and tell us that story. Like, how did you, you were? What were you doing prior to building that house and converting it to net zero? And how'd you get into this?
0: Yeah. No. I mean, the thing is, you know, I started out in in law school and right towards the end of law school, there are, you know, two, what I consider pretty seminal books came out. One was, you know, Al Gore's Earth in the Balance and the other was Paul Hawkins, The Ecology of Commerce. And, and those are really profound to me. And, and really that was kind of the beginning of my recognition in the early nineties that like the climate is, is, is in crisis. Like that was clear back then to me. And then from that time, really looking for that lever. And initially that was going to be, well, do I go work for the EPA? And I went and met with folks at the EPA and it's like, what do you guys do? Oh, we have these rules that really <laughs> suck and are really kind of this really low bar. And if you violate these rules, we're going to fine you or send you to prison. And it's like, okay, so best scenario is someone's already polluted and I put them in jail. That didn't seem like effective fool. That I wanted to do. The other path was tort, which was you know, you basically sue somebody. I was offered a job in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, about a dioxin spill that was from a paper company. I'm laughing, but it's really sad. Uh, and the Pascagoula River, right? Completely polluted the Pascagoula River. And, and there was this, you know, decades long lawsuit of all the farmers that lost their crops or had them ruined, of people who got sick of, you know, this incredible environmental harm from environmental organizations, from all living creatures along that river that were harmed by these, uh, this pollution. And then what do you do? It's like, well, after years, there's a settlement or a lawsuit that makes them pay. And again, that doesn't get us to where we need to go. And the question, you know, in 2006 that Jason McClendon posed was, what does good look like? And the EPA and lawyers don't ask that question, what does good look like? It's, what did you do wrong? And how do I punish you for doing wrong? It's kind of like that whole footprint versus handprint analogy, right? It's like, we want to what can you do? What kind of action can you take? So, so, so that kind of led us, you know, and when we, when I was in Santa Monica, also very active with, with environmental, the movement there and trying to do educational media and started Greenovation TV, uh, too early because it was 2005, just when YouTube started, so. We were still filming on cameras, no iPhones yet. <laughs> I, you know, I'm talking big old cameras, too. like. You know, I, uh, so, yeah, eventually that that led to you know just uh, this serendipity of, of, get, of finding this house and my wife wanting to do a couple more years working with a professor that she met in grad school and staying here, and then we were going to head back to the West Coast, but instead we fell fell in love with Ann Arbor, I ended up having this net zero home, having two just stunningly beautiful, sweet as can be daughters in the home. Who became what my mother-in-law calls the net-zero babies, because they live in this home where they they haven't experienced living in a fossil fuel-burning environment. Right? There's no gas stove in their house since they've been born. We have to. I remember when they were little kids, we had to explain. They were they got a, when we clicked on the fire in the kitchen. They're like, "Why the fuck is there fire in the kitchen, Daddy?" <laughs> 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 And you have to explain. Do not touch the stove here. You can't do that. And there's one great story where they were. Where I borrowed a friend's car because we've had an electric car for years. We borrowed a friend's car, and I told him to you know get you know get in the car. Let's start. And I start the car, and then my older daughter was like, "Wait, what is that? It's like That's, that's the sound of the engine. It's okay. Why is it vibrating? Why is it doing that? Why is it doing that? It's like that's just, what it does. It vibrates. It's what fossil fuel does." Okay, I said, oh, and it's, I forgot something in the house, girls. Let me run inside. So I run inside the house. A minute later, the girls come inside, screaming, tears streaming down their face. Daddy, daddy, the car's on fire. The car's on fire. And I look out the window and there's the you know s- steam coming out of the tailpipe. <laughs> and they, they hadn't seen that in their own car sitting in our driveway before. <laughs> and so, so just, just to see like this future through their eyes that... Smoke coming out of a tailpipe is stupid and bizarre. Fire in your kitchen that smells disgusting. They even talk about how bad gas cars smell and how bad this is the future they're living in. So they're the net zero babies. But yeah, and that's kind of how we got to, to to where we are. That's crazy. It's like
2: internal combustion engines and uh, gas ranges are going to be like the rotary phones for this next generation of kids. Like, if I show I have a 18 year old stepson, if I show him a rotary phone has no idea what to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. But the rotary phone's never killed anybody in their sleep, not without help from someone Yeah. But it's strength. funny to think about people like
2: <laughs> not understanding what uh internal combustion car sounds like yeah. or feels like, or smells like, like that's a crazy concept for someone yeah. that's grown up with them.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the thing that's really profound. And again, that's one of the points of optimism for me is that we're not selling that, you know, the, the hippie bathing in your pasta water. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that's really freaking beautiful. Um, better. That, you, know, you can imagine this, you know, this future that's, I don't, I don't need to say it here even. I think it's great that we can talk in shorthand that it's just damn beautiful. It's clean, yeah.
2: it's quiet, yeah, that's
0: awesome. It's better, it's cheaper. And my daughter's getting to experience that, think that all else is bizarre. I mean, yeah. bizarre. <laughs> that's awesome. Let's transition
1: to Viridian. I'd love our guests to learn all about what you're doing there. I was an early investor in Viridian. That's and right. So, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and even that part is really interesting to us. It's something I, I, Owen and I, we haven't talked much about, but I, I'm going to ask you about the that process, the crowdfunding side, because as you yeah. know, it's what we're kind of yeah. trying to do here with Raven is crowdfund a net zero real estate business model through people that care about climate and traditionally don't have access to investing in real estate. And I would say, you know, when we talked about launching this company, like, are there enough people out there that are going to invest in this? Are we sure? And I told the story of I've done a couple weird investments in my career. I'm not saying yours is yeah. weird, but it was like <laughs> <laughs> this guy's building a living building challenge community in Michigan. I kind of know him, I don't know him that well, but I, I know what the living building challenge is. And this sounds inspiring to me. And he's letting me invest for as little as a thousand bucks. And yeah, to this day, it was
0: the lowest, One of my yeah. favorite
1: investments I continue to hold.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, we're still holding it. I thought we'd be done by now. <laughs> well, that's
1: a lesson learned for the real estate investor. Your your investment could be illiquid for some time, but that's okay.
0: Right. Yeah. So yeah, and that was pretty exciting actually. And that was something we did just kind of out of. It, it was definitely helpful. I'm not going to say there wasn't to the beginning to have that money, but it was really not that much. It was really just three hundred thousand dollars. And the reason we did that was twofold. Really, just kind of to, to be out there and kind of educate the community about what we were doing, and that gave us the opportunity to really talk about the neighborhood and inspire folks. And then the other was to really have people in the community, um, vested in the solution, right. And, and giving that opportunity for as little as $500. And it was, it was pretty challenging. We worked through a, a company that's actually now defunct to set up the crowdfund and all the yeah. sec stuff. But, we know all about that. Yeah. 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 Was it a reg CF? Do you remember? Yes, it was. It yes. Was. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, but. It, it was, it just really opened the door and gave us an easy way to really connect with folks in the community and not just for people to say, Hey, that's a cool neighborhood, or Hey, I support that neighborhood, but say, I support this so much that I'm willing to put my money into it and, and then offer them profit in the end that the community should be profiting from this as well. And so yeah. I think, I, I think we raised about $350,000 through that, but also through that process, we also got one of our early primary angel investors through that process who came and saw me talk and, 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 and he's actually with he and his wife are actually moving in to the neighborhood. They're buying a home in the neighborhood. So they're that vested in it. So it wasn't through the crowdfund, but that kind of inspired this larger investor to come to us.
1: That's cool. Wow. So, uh, I mean, yeah. w- we would probably talk too much crowdfunding. So uh, to, in spirit of educating our, our audience yeah. on more than crowdfunding, let's move on. But Finance nerd. T- t- talk about the the project. What is it? What was the vision? Where are you now? I mean, I'm sure you're used to giving this pitch. So let's hear it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, it, it, you know, it's funny. I'm used to giving the pitch. Yeah. But the thing is, we there's so much to talk about. It's all it depends on I never know where to start. But with this, we really did. We had the opportunity to buy this land. It was a former youth prison. Before that, it was an asylum. And before that, it was the uh, county poor farm going back all the way to 1834 1836 is when the county purchased it. So Washtenaw County is Ann Arbor is the county seat. And in the 70s, they made most of the poor farm into a park. Prior to that, they had carved out a part of this poor farm, which was the asylum at the time, and they made a youth prison. That corner of the property, roughly 14 acres or so, was put up for RFP back in 2016. So that's how long we've been we've been doing this and we competed with other developers, conventional developers. Every single one of them proposed something that was on a grid, that was paved, removed all of the trees, and had a big detention pond down at the south part of the property. And what we said was, we really want to do something completely profound, and we need the collaboration of the community. This is not something that we can do on our own. We need to be asking, what does good look like? The county at the time was uh, debating whether or not they should sign on to the Paris Accords. Cities across the country had just started signing on and agreeing, yes, we're going to commit to these Paris, Paris Accords, and the commitments that, that that meant. But people weren't asking, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to keep carbon below one, 1. 1.5 degrees Celsius? What does it mean to have our emissions by 2030? Nobody was talking about all electric in 2016 very few people were talking about deep carbonization. I was asked to speak at a, uh, as a surrogate to a gubernatorial candidate in Michigan several years ago, and it was over this pipeline protest. And, and I just asked everybody in the room you know, you know, these protests are hardcore advocates, right? Stop the pipeline. I'm going to chain myself to a, a truck if you build this pipeline. And I said, Hey, raise your hand. If you can tell me where does this pipeline end? And somebody said, Oh, it ends in this city in Ohio. Somebody said, no, no, it ends in this place in Ontario, both ends of the line. And and I said, well, raise your hand if you have a gas stove, a gas heater, a gas dryer, or anything gas in your house. Every single hand went up in the room. Every single hand went up in the room. And I said, that's where this pipeline ends. Hmm. I said, that's what we need to rethink. And then we can end these pipelines because there'll be no need for them. So, Viridian was kind of this really just this act of optimism and saying that we need to be building that neighborhood for the 22nd century, right? What does a neighborhood in 2030 look like if it meets all of these goals? And we said, that's what we do, that's what we target. And it's not just about deep decarbonization, but it's also about biodiversity, it's about human health, it's about equity. And all of those things are preconditions to decarbonization, right? If you're not equitable, what the hell's the point, number one? And number two, you're not going to get there if you're not equitable. We're not going to be able to decarbonize if we don't do this in an equitable way. And and then biodiversity, again, if we're, you know, we've lost, I'm not going to give numbers here because they will all be wrong, but you know, you hear every day about the species loss in just in North America alone. Uh, I heard Cristiana Figueras on a podcast this morning talking about the golden frogs that that she grew up with. And she she wanted to show them to her daughters. Mm. And she can't because they're gone. And it's one thing to have this acceptance of loss, right? That's why we all do this, right? That's what Christiana's point was, that we do this work because of loss. What we've already lost and what we're afraid of losing. And I can accept that we lose things, but like the, I think it was Paul Hawken who, who talked about the death of birth is something very different, and that's what extinction is. And so we have to really focus on those things as well. Otherwise, you know, we inherited a healthy planet when we were born, the three of us relatively, right? We were all born probably way before it was, you know, under 380 parts per million, 350 parts per million. Now we're at 420 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So Viridian really was just a test of a bigger version of, my, of what my home was. Like, this is what's possible. This is what we need to do. At the time, you were not a real estate developer. You were
1: not someone who bid on Plots of land that were up for for uh, opportunities nope. to develop into single family housing. You created yeah. Viridian. That that RFP, I would imagine the county t- to yeah. choose you, which yeah. obviously they did. Yeah, they uh, yeah, the criteria or how that chose choice was made or how they typically choose <clears throat> a developer yeah. versus another. I right. know you, I, I've heard you speak about it, so. Uh, I know you've, you did a lot of advocacy and there was a lot of education with the political side of this. Yeah. So describe winning that RFP and how you did it for a company that had no track record.
0: Yeah, of course. Right. You know, Thrive Collaborative had already existed, but we really just did nothing but consulting and hoped that people would take our advice and did some other, you know, home building and things like that. So yeah, otherwise the county would just sit back and say, Hey, who the fuck are you? (laughs) So is that We have to partner with great people, right? So my partners, Joey Jonah and David Ifred, uh, you know, builders, developers, okay, in construction, Joey's family had been doing this for decades. And so when asked, you know, have you guys ever done this before? And the answer is nobody has. But look at the experience that we bring to the table and we were able to sh- this show this kind of powerhouse team of what we were doing and what we were capable of doing. And then also just have the saying, you guys are just going to have to sec- accept some level of faith and have this unprecedented level of collaboration compassion and creativity because everything we do here is going to be a little different nothing we're doing is experimental but doing it all at once has not been done so solar neighborhoods been done there's some net zero neighborhoods out there but are they doing are they doing the ecological restoration are they doing uh, you know are they doing equitable housing so we have our nonprofit housing provider Avalon Housing which is doing phase 2 of the project which are families coming out of homelessness so there's 50 units of deep affordable housing uh, you know in the neighborhood of like $500 a month rent uh, all the way up to homes that are a million dollars so there's like you know $200,000 homes uh, affordable housing workforce housing 500,000 and it's no,
1: it's essentially a single family development mostly around a farm is that so Accurate. yeah,
0: it's not, not around a farm, but agriculture is incorporated into it. And one of the things we'll be doing is, you know, the Honey Locust Farm Stop, which is a seven day a week farm stop grocery store, which is modeled after this amazing place called Argus Farm Stop here in Ann Arbor, which is, is supplied by over 200 local and regional farmers and producers that you can get every single food product you need year round, seven days a week in a 3000 square foot location. Because every day a new farmer is bringing, so you might not have the same farmer's eggs every day, but every day there is some farmer that's delivering fresh eggs that they, they harvested, you know, that morning. You know, tomatoes are seasonal. Some will come in greenhouses and be you know a little bit later in the season or earlier hoop houses. Since they started, there have been people who've started adding mushroom crops, meats, cheeses, milk. In glass bottles like everything you can imagine chocolate from a local family they're from ecuador and they import the beans and they and they create chocolate here in ann arbor and so you know literally everything you can get fresh bread some of the best in the world all in one little location and so we're going to expand on that idea and make the, the location net zero energy so we possibly the first net zero energy grocery store we're going to target zero waste which is going to be really hard and and see how does a grocery store tackle that in a 3,000 square foot space? We've got really major challenges with like, you know, when you buy eggs from a farmer, they're going to be 5 to $7 a dozen, right? Well, if you're paying $500 a month rent, how do you deal with $7 a dozen eggs? So that's a question that is unanswered and we're, we're going to have to figure out. So there's a lot of things like that. But there's a, a social aspect to this. In fact, Viridian started at Argus Farm Stop because I met, ran into one, a friend of mine, Conan Smith, who's a county commissioner at Argus, right? This It's this community space. So there's a cafe. We'll have a tea garden and a beer garden. We'll have uh, some short-term rentals so people in the neighborhood can can house guests and things. If they if you, if you live in a one-bedroom apartment, how do you have your family come visit? Well, there's a, there's a place in the neighborhood that you can rent, and then we'll Take some of the profit from that and subsidize. Hopefully, we hope this will work out. Keep some of those other units, smaller units, to for people who wanted to live in the neighborhood but couldn't manage the cost and yet don't qualify for affordable housing. So, if we can get units that we could charge, you know, eight, eight, nine hundred dollars a month rent here in Ann Arbor, which is you know pretty low cost, we're going to do that.
1: Where are you at? I mean, this this will show how passive yeah. of an investor I am. I should know this, but I don't even know <laughs> right. where you're at in the, in the <laughs> uh, process. Guess, uh,
0: so we need, we need an investor update, Joel. <laughs> uh, so we, we do have our own little podcast every week and, and you, you guys can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram and, and Viridian, Viridian at Viridian, County Farm is the handle for Instagram, Matt Grokoff on Twitter. And right now the, the biggest challenge is we're attempting to eliminate concrete from the roadways and that's been a big challenge. And then poor foundations. We're framing in a factory. So right now they're building some of that framing. We've got to get that onto site, but you're not allowed to bring wood to the site until the fire marshal says that he can get a fire truck in there. And that's something that needs to change is these outdated non-evidence-based fire codes where you solar panels on the roof and everything else. We could have a whole five-hour session here just on the challenges that we're up against and, and making these things happen. The elimination of concrete actually just yesterday we had a really sad moment on site where i sat down with john bellow our our uh, director of operations and and just really had just kind of this emotional moment on site where he was saying look the engineering of this could could screw things up if we if we do this entire roadway where the city is forcing us to put in sanitary sewers and everything else we should probably do this section of the road in concrete and just doing 25 percent of the roads." in concrete was this huge, like emotionally challenging thing for us, because we're talking, if we did all of the roads in concrete, us and Avalon, it would be over a million pounds of CO2 needed emissions just to produce that much concrete, a million pounds. So if we could eliminate that, would be an extraordinary win. And so, so once we have those roads in and some of those went in yesterday, we're going to be able to start framing and then and then we're off to the races. We always say that uh, we're going to start the next thing on Monday, but we never tell you which Monday. <laughs> Owen's a speculative real estate developer.
1: Can he purchase? Is there homes for sale still in the variety?
0: Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. We're crappy salespeople. We actually don't have a sales team, and and the reason for that is it's like, you, you, you uh, h- how how do you sell this? There's a real. There's just an education component to this. So we've got really extraordinary buyers. We've got a, a, a WhatsApp group of all of our buyers that that have already on, and they're making friends with each other now. Some of them purchased almost two years ago now. So we have a section, only 24 homes available for immediate purchase agreement. Then we have a second sequence, which they're up for reservations, and that's a small refundable deposit. So anywhere between two to $10,000, depending on the home, for a refundable deposit to hold your space in line for a particular address. Mm. And of that, so now we have, I forgot where we are now, it's changing every day, but I think we're at 68 units out of the 129 that we have for sale, uh, either you know, have been reserved or purchased at this point. And then we have another 60 people on waiting list for units types that are full and no longer available. So we're actually kind of having a mid-course correction and redesigning some things and removing some streets, removing some garages and, and doing what we can to add more bike share, more car share to get more green space and bioswale and take those garage spaces and turning them into living spaces. So this is, again, it's like, what does this mean when you have, you know, this, you know, car light lifestyle? It means more green space. It means more affordable housing. It means more housing, yep. right? It, 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 um, and, and for us, it actually means more usable square footage that, that we can sell and recoup some of our costs. So this is, this is a really big deal. And, uh, and if we can just get rid of single stair access rules here in the States, that's, uh, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> oh, you guys should have uh, Michael Eliason on as well. well. Talk about single stair access and floor plan and footprints and fire codes and all the other good stuff.
1: Well, Matt, it's been fascinating, inspiring as always listening to you, but I think I gotta wrap us up. We're running out of time. We talked a lot here today about uh, how do you overcome despair and how do you prevent yourself from being <laughs> negatively impacted by the data around climate change? So we always like yeah. to finish the, uh, the interviews with the same question. I think you'll have a great answer here cause you've already uh, touched on some of this stuff, but yeah, with everything going on, all the negativity,
0: all the doomsday or talk about climate change, what gives you hope? Yeah. You pour yourself into the work. And what gives me hope is all the people that are out there doing the work, knowing that if we do stop our emissions, temperature rise stops. That's what the science is. There's nothing more hopeful than that. That's just a fact. If we stop emissions, temperature stops rising. And we have all the tools we need to do that. I just heard Jonathan Foley, I always had the privilege of being at a TED conference and give his TED talk. And he said that we uh, that now is better than new and time mm. is better than tech so do everything now the clock is ticking and and there are people out there doing this work our biggest enemy is despair and doomism and optimism is a precondition to success so let's fucking go <laughs>
1: <laughs> well said and those clips from the te- ted talks that's Perfectly said. Now better than new. I think that Owen's probably going to steal that one. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's not yeah. mine. He's awesome.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Matt, you you mentioned a little earlier, but let's do it all very officially here we, at the end of the show. We want to make sure our audience can find you. So, podcast, Instagram, your personal handle. How does the audience find you? How do we learn more yeah. about your company and what you're working on?
0: Find definitely find me on LinkedIn. It's just at Matt Grokoff, G-R-O-C-O-F-F. Viridian.community is the website. There's actually a really cool video that McLennan Design put together for us, kind of a fly-through of the neighborhood that's stunning uh, and, and it is inspiring. You can really see we're not selling sustainability. You're just looking at something absolutely beautiful. And Twitter, Matt Grokoff, threads also, Matt Grokoff, Instagram, you can find me, my uh, Viridian at County Farm is the, the handle there. And then there's on YouTube, if you look up the Viridian podcast, uh, you'll see us on there. And uh, we're trying to do some more longer format stuff that's of interest to everybody. But yeah. Well, very cool. I encourage
1: everyone to check it out. T- we only touched the surface of what Matt's trying to do here at Viridian today. I- I've been inspired by yeah. it. I know Owen's a fan as well. So Matt, we're rooting for you. We'll share all this stuff through too, our uh, social media Go platforms. and. Keep crushing out there.
0: Guys, thank you for starting Raven. Thank you for doing everything that y'all are doing. We've got a lot of work to do together and just grateful. You guys are what make me optimistic.
2: <laughs> oh, well, we appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Matt.
0: Well,
1: let's wrap it up there. Thank you to everyone for joining. You can find us on most of the social media platforms at Join Raven. So that's join and Raven is with a Y, R-A-Y-V-E-N. You can find this podcast and more great content at joinraven.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, like, and share with your friends. And until next time, we encourage you to ask yourself, what are you doing to fight the climate
0: crisis?